Hey, fellow traveler, welcome to the Third Eye Awakening podcast, a show where we talk all about spiritual and psychic awakening, magic, the shift from 3D to 5D, star seeds, ascension, multiple timelines, multiple dimensions, the universe, the multiverse, the Akashic records, all the good things. I am your host, Amy Belair, and I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Okay, let's do this. Hey, beautiful souls, welcome to another episode of Third Eye Awakening. Today I have with me Nat Solomon, who is a member of Soul Space, who is a podcast listener and a lifelong empath, truth seeker, agnostic experiencer of synchronicities and sufferer of depression. He experienced a spiritual awakening in June of 2021, which we are going to hear about today. And from that experience, uh, he has decided to chronicle his life on his website in the hopes that the stories will not only help him therapeutically through the practice of journaling and processing everything, but also help others to know that they are not alone. Totally resonate with that. That's the whole reason I created the podcast. It's very, very therapeutic and beneficial to the public, as people apparently tell me. So thank you so much for being here, Nat. I'm really excited to have this conversation. We've exchanged a few emails back and forth, and I'm very intrigued about your story. So I'm excited to hear about it. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, I'm at the point right now where I am, you know, I think like everybody searching for answers, but uh, even more specifically since my awakening, um, trying to keep my mind open and hear what other people have to tell me about it because um, I'm having, you know, a heck of a time processing it myself. So, um, yeah, I would say I probably have coped with depression since I was a 12 ish when, uh, my, uh, my dad left on my 12th birthday. So there's that. Oh, um, and, uh, it's, it's been a lifelong series of mini traumas sandwiched in between big traumas. Um, you know, I, I think source every day that I have what I have, I have who I have in my life. Um, and don't ever try to compare myself to others in terms of the traumas that they've dealt with, because there's always people who have had it worse and a lot worse. And there's always people who seem to have it better, but you never really know what goes on behind the scenes. Right. But so mine are my own, mine are my own and everybody's traumas are their own. Um, And, you know, I'd say I probably, this is a big part of it too. I started smoking cigarettes like in high school Mm -hmm. and I was always a good kid. Like I never really got into drugs or partying or anything like that. Um, And then all through college and it was the one like shame that I had in my life. Like I can remember my my grandmother, when I was little, I used to hide her cigarettes on her because I knew, you know, we always were taught they're not good for you and everything like that. So it was the one shame I had in my life. And as I, you know, grew up and got older and went to college, same thing, graduated, you know, tried to quit so many times. Long story short, after 26 years, I hadn't quit yet. And uh, I did have 
in between all that, five years ago, five or six years ago, I wound up having a significant depressive episode. And so I started digging my way out of that. It was kind of a rock bottom as far as depression goes. Um, I personally wasn't suicidal in any way, but I was locked in the basement for like two weeks trying to figure things out. There was a couple triggering events right before that. And uh, I was, that was it. I was done. And I knew my wife was worried about me. My kids were worried about me and they were my lifeline. They used to come say goodnight to me in the basement every, every night. And they'd say good morning to me before they went to school every morning. And those were the things that got me through the day. Um, so I finally kind of picked myself up and said, all right, I need to get some help. I need, I can't do this by myself. Um, and so for the past five years, I've been working with my therapist, with a prescriber, um, for medications, you know, doing what is right for me and everybody does their thing differently, but, um, this is the path that I chose and doing the work. So I've been really kind of doing the work, but there was one thing, two things I should say that I couldn't get past in order for me to feel like I was really, really, really making progress. One was I couldn't quit smoking yet and I couldn't figure out why. And I, I felt like I was in a prison. I felt like I was handcuffed. I felt like it was such a compulsion that I couldn't control that even it wasn't like the patch didn't help. It wasn't an, as much a nicotine, nicotine addiction as I think it was a mental addiction. Um, but I felt like I was handcuffed. I felt like I was in prison with it and I did nothing I could do could stop. And I was ashamed because I was hiding it from my family. Like I didn't want my kids to know because I didn't want them to think it was okay. You know, all this other stuff. And, uh, the other thing was a crippling fear of death. That was the second thing. And that second thing kept me up at night and it kept me going onto my patio at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, having a cigarette, just look, you know, sitting under the stars and contemplating the universe. Um, and I said to myself one night, okay, if I'm really going to deal with this crippling fear I have, then I got to face it head on. So what's at the root of my fear? And the root of my fear was the concept of time. And it was something that I kind of realized then that time was something that I always had an obsession with. And it was that night that I had an epiphany which I hear a lot of people talk about, but the whole concept of time being an illusion, right? And the, the thing is, like, I hear people say that a lot, but the way I came to that conclusion was in my line of work and in the area I live in, I actually have access to people who are physicists. So I went to them and I asked them, what, what is time to you? And, you know, I'd get answers like, well, there would be answers that would be, local to us here in this place in the universe, on the planet Earth, around our sun, right? Uh, one person said, well, you know, the cesium atom is now the most um, accurate measurement of a second. I'm like, yeah, but that's still a derivative. We figured out what a second was first, and then we said, okay, how can we more accurately measure it? So what is time? And that's when everything like rewound in my head, like, time-wise to the very, very, very beginning, whatever that beginning was. And that's when I realized that time isn't anything other than energy state transition. Because if you rewind everything to that singularity before the universe 
exploded into this chaotic thing it is, time didn't have to exist. So I kind of went with the why of it. Why does time exist? Well, time exists as a as the effect of the cause and effect relationship. And the cause is energy changing state. Mm. And I kind of, I'm like, okay, so now I get that. Now I get what it means that time is an illusion. And all of a sudden, after that night, boom, 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 things started happening. I wound up having shortly afterwards a dark night of the soul because of other things that caught up with me during COVID. Um, in 2000, there were some traumatic events we had in our family, and um, they were fairly significant traumatic events that we had to process. And I know everybody did at that time, right? I mean, the whole world was going through hell at, um, when at the beginning of 2020. Um, and having, trying to process that traumatic event, trying to process this fear of death and this new notion of time, trying everything I can to get past the stuck point I was in. I went to bed one night and that night I had a dream and that dream was just the word unshackled over and over and over again. What? That is a wild dream. It was just that word over and over. Just that word over and over and over again. And I've had a dream like that once before. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. But that was that's its own story. Um, And I woke up the next day and we were packing to go away for the weekend. And 10 o'clock in the morning rolls around. And I realized I hadn't, you know, gone out for a cup of coffee and grabbed my, you know, had a cigarette for the day yet. And I'm just packing. I'm like, oh. I don't, I don't want a cigarette. Okay. Wow. Well, rest of the day's going on, no desire whatsoever. Um, and I said, oh my God, that's it. Now, what I forgot to mention was prior to this, I'd been asking for signs. Give me a sign, something, you know, asking for signs from the universe and always been in touch with animals and stuff like that and so I'd see deer I'd see hawks I saw a bald eagle one time just swoop right in front of my car and these are all wonderful things but I'm like it's not it's not my sign I need something more personal and so right before this I was asking for a more more personal sign and here I am waking up this one day and just all of a sudden no desire to have a cigarette and I haven't touched one since in a year and a half and I haven't really even had a craving to. And it was like I was unshackled. That, that prison that I was in, that of uh, the smoking compulsion was just gone. I, I was freed from it. I was unshackled. And then I went, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, all right, if that was my sign, I'm listening. So then what followed was about a two-week manic episode where I dove into sacred geometry and was went to the library and I checked out the Tibetan Book of the Dead, a book on Kabbalah, um, you know, a bunch of esoteric volumes and just started diving in. And, you know, what, what, realized, what, what happened was a series of epiphanies around sacred geometry and symbology following that, which led me to another experience 
that I can only describe as what I've heard people now call as clear cognizance, or maybe even channeling, but I don't know. I'm not an expert in those types of things, so I don't want to presume to know what it was, but what it was is a series of discoveries that rocked my world, rocked my absolute foundation. Um, but I think the moral of that story was be careful what you ask for, because if you ask for something that's a sign that's for you, then when you show it to other people, <laughs> they may not see it um, because it was meant just for you. But um, I've gone back to it time and time again, and it's it's still there. And I can't deny what I saw. I think that might be a story for another time, but um, no, you have. Oh my gosh, no way, no way. I mean, you don't have to. Of course, you don't have to say anything that you don't want to say. But I really, I'm like, just want to hear about this experience because you told me you similarly hinted about it in the email yeah. exchange. And I was like, oh, what's in there? It's juicy. Okay. So I'll, I'll put it this way. And, and the reason I hesitate is because, like I said, I've shared it with other people and I kind of get the eye roll because the story itself is a bit derivative in that it's been played out in books and movies and so on and so forth. And I'm not, how do I say this? Um, Here's how it took me. It took me from a book on Kabbalah that I was reading, where it was talking about um, sacred geometry and the sacred ratio and how da Vinci used certain mathematical functions in all of his art and, and design. And I said, oh, I remember reading somewhere about the golden ratio being used in the creation of the Mona Lisa. And so I'm like, okay, so this is leading me to the Mona Lisa. So I pull up the Mona Lisa and I'm like, but I don't see necessarily where it is. Um, it was the golden ratio. And then there was one other thing and I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head what it was. Um, but I started looking at the Mona Lisa going, why is this so special? Everybody keeps talking about how special it is and why is it so special? I don't get it. Everybody that I've heard has, that's gone to the Louvre to see it um, has just come back and said it's small and mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good painting. You know, it's, you can see it's Da Vinci, but what's the big deal? And so that's kind of where I was. And as I started like staring at it, I started asking questions about what's the big deal, why this piece, why that piece of it, why this piece of it. And what I came to realize or what I think I came to realize was that the real purpose of the Mona Lisa was to be a masterclass for Da Vinci's students on perspective. Perspective being what I one of those epiphanies that I've come to realize as the real fourth dimension, mm. uh, not time, time because time is an illusion. So what is that fourth dimension? Well, that fourth dimension is perspective, and we all have it. And so that's why we all affect each other and everything around us at all times. And it kind of goes into a quantum uh, physics aspect of, you know, superposition and things like that. But what I realized was that she is supposed to be framed as a triptych. 
and mm -hmm. I can um, I can show you what I mean also if you'd like at some point. But <laughs> yeah. he, if you look at her in the middle, and then you have mirrors on each side facing back, what you get is the same exact scenery on both sides from two different perspectives. Wow. And it's and so I'm like, okay, well how do I test this theory out? So I'm doing more research and I find out, well, there's more Mona Lisa's in the world than just the one at the Louvre. They're not all necessarily, they're contested as to whether or not they were painted by da Vinci or one of his students, mm -hmm. but there's the Prado, there's the, there's the Mona Lisa hanging in the Prado. There's the Mona Lisa hanging in, sorry, that's my office mate. Somebody from Amazon must be here. Um, the, uh, it's my pup, Winnie. Um, there's one hanging in the Prado, there's the one hanging in the Louvre, there's the one hanging in, um, uh, it's a, in a private collection uh, in Switzerland, it's called the Isleworth Mona Lisa. And then there's one hanging in the Hermitage Museum in Russia. So there's actually four Da Vinci class Mona Lisas that exist in the world today. And I don't know how many- I didn't that. know that. Yes. And I'll say Da Vinci class, right? Because it's contested, as the, like it's accepted that he painted the one in the Louvre. All the others date back to his time period and even like his workshop and the pigments that were used in his workshop and everything, but it's contested as to whether or not he painted them. Right. But the reason it's important is because, and the reason I came to this conclusion that it, it was a master class in, in perspective is because you can, you can create the same image with each one of them. They're different backgrounds, um, and but you can do the same thing with each of them and you can see how they are the same image on both sides of her shoulder mm -hmm. from two different perspectives. And the one that's kind of a lower perspective, like sitting down low and close, um, uh, close by, she's looking to herself. She's looking inward. The two Mona Lisas are looking inward. On the right. other side, where she's where it's a uh, up from up high perspective and far away, she's looking out um, on both sides. And again, I can I can show this to you if you want at some point. Um, it's pretty incredible, and I keep going back to it. And every time I go back to it, I find more symmetry points. And when you bring them in further and further to these different symmetry points, you get different imagery um, in each of the Mona Lisas. Um, it's amazing because it's, it was his life's work. He took it with him everywhere he went. It was the only thing he never really sold, uh, or one of the few things he sold. Um, but it, it's just, again, like I, I see it and I see it as undeniable that, uh, this exists and when you can prove it across all four, um, I, I don't know how you can... <laughs> deny it right um you can see the same exact patterns across all four of them so so that was my big wake up like wake up wake up that kicked off the whole spiritual awakening for me um so that was, was that I'll the stop. event in in <laughs> so good was that the event in june 2021 no so the event in june 2020 june 24th 2021 was when i woke up that morning and it was i had that dream of um unshackled all night long and i woke up and i just didn't 
didn't want a cigarette anymore and I haven't touched one since. And that was my personal, like right. I needed my dark night of the soul. I surrendered. Right. And I think we all kind of look at those dark nights of the souls when, when I didn't even know that phrase, by the way, until I started going through this stuff and listening to your podcast and listening to other podcasts. Now I'm learning all these new terminologies, but that's exactly what it was. It was one night, um, a few months prior to my awakening and I just fell on my knees in the rain out in my backyard crying and just saying I, I surrender I I don't know what else I can do I'm trying to be a good dad I'm trying to be a good husband trying to be a good son and brother trying to be a good person in my life what more do you want from me what am I supposed to be doing here and I just started I just fell to my knees crying in my backyard yeah. um, in the middle of the night and just surrendered and as soon as I surrendered, these things started happening, kind of culminating in the June 24th dream, and then, or the penultimate piece being that, and then the ultimate being this, this episode that I had where it's just like, went definitely manic. I was like two weeks of diving into it and just nothing else, just absorption, just manic absorption. Yeah. Um, and that's what I came out with on the other end. <laughs> that and one other thing, which was the blog. Um, you know, my therapist had been t uh, telling me for a long time that I should journal. And I always had a problem journaling because I felt like it was not that, not that being self-serving was a bad thing, but it being self-serving wasn't enough for me. I wanted to put it out to the universe to help other people too. If I'm going to sit down and write this story of my life, then I want to see if it'll help others as well. So I started doing that, um, put it out there. And, um, you know, where I'm at right now is I kind of hit a plateau. And that's one of the reasons I reached out to you is between work, this blog, I'm just, you know, I had COVID twice, right? I think I told you that in our emails. And I just hit this energy plateau and I'm just stagnant. And I need to, I don't know what's blocking me. But I need to do whatever I can do to get past it. And mm -hmm. so that's you for help in that, in that vein. Mm -hmm. so well, that first of all, <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that I want to say, like yes. the combination of like actual, you know, like kind of classical or, or I guess modern physics, when we're talking about like atoms and time and all that plus quantum physics and superposition plus art history is like you have no it's idea all, the gift you've just given me <laughs> it is so all connected that it's not even I know it's it's like you just allowed me to nerd out deeply on things that I don't actually talk about very often because they're so nerdy but I love them and I'm I'm shocked that people have rolled their eyes at you when you've tried to share about this Mona Lisa triptych because I'm like that's like telling somebody that you basically cracked the Seder square and like them being like oh uh, I even <laughs> reached out I don't legit scholars and been just completely shut down um no there's there's no evidence I'm like well I'm showing you evidence across all four of them you know what? There's so much ego in the academic world, so much ego. And I bet that's really what's behind the eyeball rolls is like, I didn't discover it. Therefore, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
it's not it's not a very charitable thing for me to say because I have not met these people so I shouldn't you know cast aspersions on their character but that has been my experience in the academic world is that it's it is very closed because there is the thrill of being able to claim the discovery and if if one has not participated in it then it's like no that's not real I believe in like it, it shouldn't matter who gets the credit because this is like so amazing. And I, I even said, like, if you want to take the credit, fine. Just like this is amazing. And it's the undeniable piece to it, too, is that some people have claimed to see things in the Mona Lisa and they've done some some work with it to try to um, you know do it backwards and things like that. But I've never seen anybody do it in a three panel before in a triptych style before. Mm. Um, and I've done a lot of research on this now. And some of the imagery some people come out come out with are, you know, you can kind of like tilt your head to the left and go, OK, I kind of see the lion if you if you look really here and everything. But the, the secondary imagery that I show in the analysis that I've come out with, which I haven't published yet, but I'm trying to find a way to publish, see if that makes sense to publish too. Um, it's undeniable. The, like, you can see Buddha. You can see a cross. You can see a church. You can see oh um, so uh, the, the uh, what's his name? Like the divine man or something like that. Um, the mayor, is it the Merovingian? man is that what is it? Like, you know, the dude? anyway no not that one not okay. um no this is a different one um but you can see a star of david you can see um uh lord shiva you can see all this multi-religious religious iconography when you start to find the symmetry points on both sides and just start bringing the picture in a little bit like kind of cropping it a little bit more and more as if you were had a mirror on both sides and you were kind of changing the angles of the mirror. Um, so, and, and again, when you see it, it's, it's undeniable. You can't say, no, I don't see it. So I think it's just people oh not fascinated with that kind of, with that, with that's, that kind of. That's true. They might just not be, they might not actually even necessarily be able to appreciate what that is a key to. Because yeah. to me, when you're describing it, I mean, like, I, please do send me the, you know, whatever, if you have images, but what I'm imagining is, are you talking about three Mona Lisa's triptychly beside each other with the landscape points matching and yep. like turning them in on an angle, like one would with mirrors? Yes. Yeah. So when I'm imagining that I'm like, it's, it's like, that's why I liken it to the Seder square. It's like Da Vinci basically telling us it also kind of reminds me of the movie um is it interstellar with matthew mcconaughey where yeah. like you know the fold over yep. it's kind of almost like that like da vinci's like yo here we are <laughs> and you can only get it if you have the prerequisite understandings oh, and you think about it like the people that wound up being his pupils, like his direct pupils, these were masters in, in their own right, right? You didn't reach that level uh, to work directly with him unless you reached a certain level of mastery. And so I think really what this is, you know, any other kind of esoteric yes. possible interpretations aside, it's a masterclass in perspective. 
from yeah. an art form perspective. I think it goes beyond that. I think his beliefs I think so. reflect well beyond that, but that's kind of putting more personal interpretation on it. I think at the very minimum, from an objective, completely objective point of view, without putting any other spin on it, it is a masterclass in, in the art of perspective. So, so interesting. I'm just like, you, you, everybody else who's rolled their eyes can continue on with their lives, but you just <laughs> like dropped a gigantic bomb in my consciousness that I'm going to be playing with for a long time. So I thank you deeply for sharing that so much. And I also, I also briefly, before we go into, I definitely want to check out like the blocks and the stagnation in your Akashic field, but yes. I, I do want to talk to you about um, the fourth dimension and just the things that you said about time, because I, I really love that. How did you explain it? It's energy. How, what were the words you, you used more or less? So energy um, time is energy is, is the effect of energy changing state. Yeah. And that's I, why I, it's relative because it's always got to be because you need perspective in yes. order to make it relative, right? 100%. I mean, otherwise it's just a defined thing. It, that epiphany kind of evolved through the whole asking why, asking why, asking why. So, okay, why do we have three dimensions, two dimensions, one dimension? If time is supposed to be the fourth dimension, right? Then the purpose of all the other dimensions is to describe the next one. A point does not exist in reality. It, we can simulate what a point looks like, but everything in our reality has three-dimensional depth to it. Everything to the smallest thing. Um, when we represent things in two dimensions, they are not, they're, they're, they're facsimiles. They're represented. They're just that representation. So you can have a point you can, and that's one dimension. You can have a line and that's two dimensions, but what's the purpose of a line? Just if, if only a line existed in our universe, what would be the purpose of that? Nothing. But now if you have length, height, and width, now you have a tangible object, not just a representation or a facsimile of something. Okay, but what if our whole universe existed in three dimensions, but stagnant, no animation whatsoever? Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's where, okay, well, we as energetic beings, give the universe perspective and each of us has our own perspective um and that is what helps to actually animate the universe in my opinion um so when i, I liken it to superposition it's the it's the physics phenomenon that an atom is in both states until it is measured and when you measure it what are you doing you're you're taking a perspective of what that atom was at that given point where you observed it. And that's what codifies the spin of the atom. In an objective reality, which is what we, which is what scientists are finally saying is now we live in an objective or a subjective reality. Is that right? Yes, it is right. Each of us, each <laughs> of us, <laughs> well, we have an impact on the world around us. And then that is now been proven at the very smallest scale. And so that's kind of where quantum physics and superposition comes into play. It's that recognition that we as energetic beings, when we observe something, that's when we are codifying that particular reality, but it doesn't have to be us, right? 
you have your world. You go on observing things that I don't ever see on a regular basis. Um, and that world exists regardless of what I'm seeing. So that's what I was trying to say by subjective or objective realities, right? Um, the world doesn't just stop when I close my eyes. We each play a part in it. Everything in the universe plays a part in it. Yeah. Um, I I just, I agree so completely. And um it's just so much fun to have these conversations with others who have come to the same conclusions based on their observations and their contemplations and hear the different languaging that we use to describe it, but we're talking about the same thing because in Amy language, the way that I understand it is like, there's that first point, which is the first like differentiation from a sea of potential, the, we call it the quantum field or the zero point field, like a sea of undifferentiated everything this everything and yet it's it's everything and it's nothing and then the that first point of the first dimension is like it's something it doesn't even matter what it is it's just something and then there is another thing and that's the second dimension and the line in between it is like the slider of the grayscale it's the one thing that like the the one point like to make it easy, we could say it's dark and it's light because we understand grayscale. So the one point is the darkness. The other point is the light. And then the line is every shade of gray in between. And then, but what is the point of that? Exactly. There's no point to just that. So then the third dimension, that third point is where we come in and it creates, um, you know, the, 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 the three-dimensional experience that we have, but that third point is, I believe that it is like the, the, how do I describe it? It, I think it is the perspective, but this is why I understand the third and the fourth dimension to be inseparable because the third dimension is like, oh, then there has to be a chooser that is in relationship to every point and that line. And that creates, like you're saying with the Mona Lisa, like a triptych so that from every single angle, there is like infinite information. Have you ever? And then the fourth dimension is the unfolding of everything through time, energy changing form through, I think that's why it gets called time, but to just call it time is like an incomplete understanding because exactly it can't, it can't just be time it has to be what happens the magic the dynamic magic that happens when that perspective is created and experienced and then that's why i say like i call the fourth dimension like the the realm of the like the story and the narrative and ar archetypes and like so much of the dramas and the conspiracy stuff like personal dramas collective dramas all the things are happening really in that astral bandwidth and that's why there's this big hype about the fifth dimension, because when you figure out that, oh, all of this exists in the fourth dimension, all of these stories are fourth dimensional constructs that we create because we have a perspective that is in relationship to, you know, the, the one point and the other point and everything in between. We are the choosers. We are also causal agents. And we create all this meaning and all these stories and all of that exists in the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension is amazing. When we figure that out, then we can access the fifth dimension where we're like, oh, okay, we know how to play this game. Let's play this game. 
And, and from there, it's like everything opens up. Like the big, the fourth dimension is the big hurdle to get over. It's the big one. Cause man, don't our stories feel absolutely 100% factual when in fact they are totally subjective interpretations of energy well, combinations. One of my favorite realizations. And, and by the way, I, you know, anything that I kind of see as an epiphany, epiphanies are, per, are personal things, right? Mm-hmm. I don't pretend to discover any of these things that are coming to me or be the first person to think about of them. I'm sure millions of people have thought about this stuff before us even. Um, but, but it's so, such a powerful thing when you come to see it on your own that yes, it's when you realize when you substitute time for perspective and, and, and understand the concept of energy changing state, um, then that's what it is. Things like the old thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat falls on its face, falls on its face. You put a cat in a box with a piece of radioactive material. And the question is, when is it dead? Well, we have to assume it's both alive and dead until we open the box. Bullshit. The cat has a perspective too. And the cat's in the one in the freaking box. So if we eliminate the cat's perspective, then you have no cat. There right. is no cat in the box, right? I mean, it's just, it yes. falls on its face. You're when right. You it implies it. that human, the human observer is the only one that influences sort of the collapse of the, the superpositional hologram. But we but, know the universe was here well before we were. And that like, exa- you know, sometimes when I'm trying to articulate and even further explore my own understandings of like, I call it the hologram, right? Or the organic simulation. Like, I know we are the renderers. And yet I also know that the natural world exists independent of us. Like we render it, but it's not, there are things here that we don't create. They just their actions and intentions interact with everybody else's actions and intentions. And you need both because an action can be both positive or negative in its intent. Right. Um, And that intent, I believe carries energy too. Um, But yeah, we were this, this world existed before you or I were born. Right. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think one of the things that's kind of led me to believe is that, and this is maybe some a point where I've heard you talk about time, you know, and all things have happened and already happened and things like that. I don't necessarily believe that all things have already happened. I believe in the Akashic Records, the Book of Life, whatever you want to call it, this recorded thing of time. But I think we're still creating our future. I think the possibilities and the probabilities can be calculated with enough data points that you could, quote unquote, and we're seeing this with computer technology now, you could, quote unquote, predict the future, right? But that doesn't mean it's happened yet. And I don't think it does because of the nature of cause and effect being the prime law that drives our universe. And and our our creatorship. Like there is, yes. there is so much novelty and there are so many um, yet unexpressed variables that can change the way that an event or a timeline or whatever plays out. It's, you're totally right. You're totally, totally right. And I've really begun to appreciate that in the last 
year, especially in understanding like, oh, we can create new timelines, like novel new timelines. And it's almost like the Kashuk field records it in real time as soon as it becomes a potential. I guess that's probably more accurate than saying everything that has ever happened. Like it, that ever, everything has already happened, that that is a little bit too um, heavy and, and static. I think you can say all the energy, right? This is another one of these physics things, right? It, um, that energy can either be created nor destroyed, and mm. which means there's a finite amount of energy in our universe. And if there's a finite amount of energy, then everything, if you, if everything was a singularity to begin with, then everything was one at some point, you could say. But that doesn't mean that everything has happened yet, right? Right. Um, we're, it, it does go back to that. We all come from the same source. We all have the same energy that flows through us. Everything does at the end of the day. Um, and, uh, I like, uh, I don't know if you listen to, um, Brandon Beecham's podcast, um, but he likes to say energy, what is it? Uh, energy attention goes where energy flows or energy goes where attention energy goes where attention. Yeah. 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 Um, I love that. Um, because it really puts us in that creatorship role. Yeah. Our intention, where we put our energy, that's that's what codifies our reality. Yeah. So true. It's so true. And and you know, it's still a challenge though. Like, even though I know this and I've integrated it deeply, just transparently, like this morning, I was having some like like panic in response to my current circumstances. And I had to like, stop and remember, like, you know how this works, Amy, flow your attention in the direction that you want to go. That's it. That's as simple as that. And stop, you know, don't get so responsive to the circumstances that you're experiencing right now. It's like, because of the lag time in this realm, (laughs) Whatever it's like, I I think personally for me, I don't know if it's this way for everybody, but I have a three week leg. So whatever I'm experiencing right now is basically where I was three weeks ago, more or less, not completely, but more or less. Um, and so the thing that I am feeling that I want to feel now is like, so that in three weeks, more or less, I'm experiencing what I'm directing my attention towards. There, I say more or less because there are so many variables and there are so many ways that we are not in complete control. So I'm not suggesting that whatever I put my attention on um, is 100% going to happen exactly the way that my conscious mind thinks it should in three weeks. But it's it's just it's almost like I'm just you know I'm in the I'm in the energy of whatever I was vibing in three weeks ago. And I all I have to do is be like, right, where do I want to be? <laughs> Roughly in three weeks. Focus on that. Um, but I would love to go into your Akashic records. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that would be great. Because to your point of that lag, it's not that I'm not trying to put my attention to things. It's that my energy, that energy that, that motivates and animates me to do it has just gotten depleted. Right. And so I would love to understand more about why and what's going on with me and where I'm headed and what I should, you know, be doing all that kind of stuff. So thank you. Okay. Okay. I'm going to tune in. It just takes me a couple minutes. 
the the big blank space will be edited out for the podcast listening audience. <laughs> so would you like your first question more or less to be like about why your energy is depleted and what yes. can be done to fix it? Change that? Yeah. Okay. Okay, the very first thing that comes through, this is the biggest one by far, but there are a couple more too. So I'm going to go back in after is that there is some move that energetically you're ready to make, but it's a pretty big move and you're not making it. You're resisting it um, because your, your logical mind is like, it's probably what we talked about in the emails. It's probably like making the moves towards transitioning out of your current career into something that feels more aligned for you is if it's not that it's something equally big, like it's a big change in your physical external reality. Have you been like offered a promotion or an opportunity to um, move to a different um, location with your work or anything like that? Um, funny story. Well, not moving. And I don't think moving would be in the cards. It's not something I would be willing to do at this point in time, but one of the blog topics I have dialed up that I've been slowly writing and getting ready to publish is about how a couple of years ago I sabotaged my own promotion um, at work. And uh, so that's kind of interesting, <laughs> but not, not recently, no. Okay. Do you think it's it's the thing that we talked about in the emails about um, shifting into a different career or starting starting something else? Do you feel like there's something that I feel like you know what it is and it's like there's this line and you have to step over it and you're, you know, kind of like revving up behind the line. You're like, not not yet not yet <laughs> kind of kind of like getting off of like I don't know like an escalator or something and you're like I'm not no uh, yeah. like it's a little bit of a wobbly transition and so you're holding yourself back from it um well it's scary to transition in life right I mean we've we've all had transition moments and you know and when you're a parent and um a spouse and you have a family to take care of you don't want to necessarily with blind faith just jump into something else and risk the security of your family right mm -hmm. uh, so there's definitely guards that I have up about how sure am I that I want to do something else versus put my energy back into work um, yeah that's that's what it is 
one of the epiphanies that I had over the COVID shutdown and everything was, and I think a lot of people did this. That's why you hear a lot of people quiet quitting, you know, as the word was the buzzword for a little while was how much time I wasted. I mean, I have a box full of awards from work, um, but all those awards were from pre-COVID and because I spent so much time at work and away from my family. And yeah. what is that box worth compared to that time that I lost with my family, you know? Um, so it's, it's a, it's a struggle. It's definitely a struggle right now. Um, I don't want to be the person who's working a million hours a week anymore and not seeing my family at all. Uh, and I've tried very hard to become a, the exact opposite of that. So whatever I do, I want it to still provide me with that kind of flexibility to be able to, to not just provide for my family financially, but provide for them emotionally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and be there physically for them. Um, so it's hard though, when you're ingrained in a 20 year career, um, and you make a decent living and it's pretty stable, you know, how do you just pick up and leave? and not know where mm-hmm. you go. Mhm. That is what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's yeah, it's exactly that. And so, okay, the way that it looks is that it's it is as though all of your conscious energy, no, that's not the right way to put it. The majority of your life force energy, not your conscious, your conscious mind is still here. Um but the majority of the energy that propels this incarnation has already shifted to that new timeline that branched off and including their, I don't know. I'm just going to do my best to describe it, but stop me if it doesn't make sense. It's almost, it feels like your wife and your children, their energy has already gone there too. There, there, there's a whole other reality that has the majority of the energy and you're feeling depleted because most of the energy has already gone there. And, but you're kind of still in this space of, you know, like thinking about it and gearing up to do it. And so have you ever seen the movie Donnie Darko? Long time ago. Yeah. Remember those energy tunnels that came off of them? No, I just remember okay. the rabbit, honestly, that, that freaked okay. me out. So no, like, Okay. I won't use that analogy then. Uh, It's like um, at some point you split off and the majority of you went down this path and that's why it feels so real. And it's, it's calling to you. Um, There's just this leftover, like 10% of you. That's like, like, can I do it for all the things you just said? Like, what does it mean? What about you just, you, you're needing to really process everything before you can, can join the rest of yourself, but that is where your energy is gone. So it's not actually like, um, possibly the junction point was this last round of COVID that you had, which is why there is a correlation, but it's not a reflection of any kind of like illness or imbalance in your body. The other thing that I could feel behind this that they do want me to mention to you is has something to do with the amount of movement that you're doing. Um, Like there's some kind of exercise that 
I don't know if you already incorporate exercise. If you do, then there's a change that wants to be made to it. And if you don't incorporate exercise, um, then that that's a big part of it is. So energy begets energy, right? I mean, I, for a while was doing great with meditating, exercising, and then, um, I wound up getting COVID at the beginning of 2022, end of 2021, beginning of 2022, that tanked my energy. By the time I started getting things back and everything towards the end of the year, I got hit again. And so it was a bookended in 2022 by COVID. Um, now, fortunately, I, you know, for all, it wasn't a horrible, um, I did get the jab. So um, vaxxed and boosted. And I think, I believe that's helped. Um, so I'm thankful for that at the very least. But at the same time, it's like finding that energy that like the spark plug, right? You need the spark to light the fire mm-hmm. and then get the engine rolling. Um, mm-hmm. It's the spark plug that's like dead right now. And I got to figure out how to replace that spark plug because I know once I, you're right, once I get back into the meditation on a regular basis and the exercising on a regular basis, I know that will become an energy begets energy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But how do I get it's there? So- how do I find that spark to get myself there again? The, do you have a um some kind of exercise machine at home? Uh boxing. Boxing. Okay, no, no, it's not boxing. It's it looks like walking. And I'm the reason yeah. I'm asking about an exercise machine because it feels like very it feels like a consistent pace, but it's not pushing you. That's how to get that spark plug going. So it's it's almost like I mean, you, I'm not suggesting you have to buy an exercise machine, but the consistent pace is what made me ask. It feels like you could equally just do this walking around the block, wherever you live or wherever, you know, walking is possible, but it's like almost having a metronome in your mind. And the metronome is, it's not to get the spark going. It's not about pushing yourself. It's not about like exceeding your time or anything like that. It's the, the steadiness of just like going out even for 10 minutes and like making a playlist or something that cues you up and keeps you on that pace. It's not even about um, cardio it has nothing to do with performance. It's just about generating that energy. Yeah. Okay. That that's how it feels, but the, you're not actually going to fully feel re-energized until you, all you have to do, like, I'm also not saying leave your job before you're ready that I don't think that's a good idea for anybody. It's more like turning yourself ever so slightly to face the direction of that path in a committed way. So Mm -hmm. even if you're taking like the tiniest baby step that nobody else would even notice, but for you, it is, it's like a declaration yourself. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might be inching my way there, but I am facing in the direction of that path where the majority of myself has already gone rather than you're currently facing a path where it's like on a plant. Like it's like your energy is trying to stay on a stalk that is dying because the energy, the plant has pulled the energy out of that stock and 
put it in a new direction. You just need to like move into that stock. So as long as you're facing the, you know, whatever, the leaf on the stock of that plant that is withering and dying, you're not going to feel energized. So, and, and again, like, it's not about making bold moves before you're ready. It's about making the move that you're ready to make that, that declares to yourself and the universe, whatever that like, oh, okay. I figured it out. This is, this direction isn't leading anywhere anymore. So I need to I need to reroute and I am rerouting. I don't need to be there right now. I'm just rerouting. Okay. Yeah. So for example, um, that could look, that could even look like starting to write a business plan. Even if it, even if you don't have your full business idea, even if you're not convinced. That so I wrote a business plan and I did have something in the works and I recently made the decision to put it up on a shelf and um that it wasn't the right time for it yeah that's it very emotional decision yeah that's what it is that's what it is and did that decision come from a place of like it's not time i need to be responsible i have children that are getting ready to go off to their post-secondary education like was it from a more practical left-brained Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But not without research. Right. So, I mean, it's a business plan. So so we do research into business plans. And part of it was calling around companies around the country that are in a similar industry and and getting their take on, you know, their their success and where they've found their best revenue streams, et cetera. And realizing that I wasn't also prepared to do the things that I would need to do to really make it stand out as a a successful business for itself. Um, That it would just be something that would get lost and probably lose money too by itself. This is, this is an idea to move forward with. It's just the big move is not here yet. What about any interest I have in telling my story. Oh, you are 100% supposed to tell your story, 100%. And so that's another area where it's like, you know, this blog that I told you about that I'm putting out there to the universe, just kind of Google search enabled it and boom, that's it. Um, I don't want those stories to be something that I monetize themselves. I want to be able to help people um, in that way. And I don't mean to sound like all righteous or whatever, but I do want to be able to maybe write a book or take this Mona Lisa thing and make that into a book. Uh, But how do I, am I supposed to? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely are. You, and, and, you are. And the, the reason that neither of us led with that is that piece of like, it would change it to monetize it prematurely. Like at some point there is a monetization to a certain aspect of it, sure. but it would be, it, I've, it feels like the, the energy around it would sort of collapse if it had the pressure of providing for like for your family's needs. Yes. That okay. makes sense. 
So, okay. So let me look and see if I can get any specifics. Definitely. You're supposed to share this Mona Lisa thing. So what I see as the primary, and I'm sure you won't do this until you have transitioned to out of your job. Um, I don't know. I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm just going to say, I'm sure that when I say this, you will feel like I can't do that until I've transitioned out of my job. But what actually comes through to me as the first place to gain traction beyond your blog and drive traffic to your blog is a YouTube channel. And you can be entirely, entirely anonymous on that YouTube channel as well. Um, you don't ever have to show video of yourself. Although I feel like at some point you do, that's the part where I'm like, I, he's, he's going to be like, nah, but I feel like you do, um, is your very, you provide a really important perspective where you're, you're, when I do my tarot and Akashic readings for the energy reports, like you, your archetype is the king of swords, which is this perfect balance between the logical mind and the like intuitive heart or both hemispheres of the brain. And it's, it is an extremely important archetype an extremely important quality. And it's also very important that you embody it as a, a man, because that is the direction that masculine people need to move. And you are sort of helping it. Rem you remind me a lot of the same archetype of Joe Dispenza, for example, you have okay. very, very valuable perspectives to share and you're good at backing them up. Like, you know, whereas I'm like, ah, this vision and like, this is what, you know, and that's, that's the archetype I'm supposed to embody, but not everybody can go all the way there with me. You can back it up with like, I've clearly thought about this and looked into to it and researched it it's funny that you say that because the article that i've been trying for months to finish writing and publish is amusing on whether or not depression itself is actually an addiction mm -hmm. one of many addictions that we can have but it's like if you can find the source of addiction then you might also be able to find a way not all depressions there there's different kinds mm -hmm. um but you know major depressive anxiety disorder um, which is what I have, I think part of, I mean, you think, how do you, how do you get out of it? You ask for help, you surrender yourself, you do the work, you have a therapist, maybe you take medication if you need that, um, you know, and you go through the stages of grief as you start mourning them. Um, and the one thing that I came out with is kind of um, given away the ending before I even publish it, but the research I've done from reputable sources, a lot of people have asked that same question and come to the conclusion that's no, it's not an addiction. And the reason is because addictions trigger the reward center of the brain and um, reward and pleasure. But depression doesn't trigger reward and pleasure. It triggers, it's triggered by the, the fear and punishment center of the brain. Um, both exist in the, in, in the, um, I think it's the limbic system. And the thing that really struck me was when I read that 
the fear center of our brain, the fear and punishment center of our brain is the only thing that can have a higher order of magnitude effect on us than the reward and pleasure center. So, okay. So doesn't that mean that they could both, that depression could also be an addiction, but just driven by fear and punishment as opposed to by reward and pleasure. Um, you know, it, in, in that begged the question, well, look at the world we live in. Everything's being driven by fear mm -hmm. right now. The, the entire world is being driven by fear. Is our next evolution finding a way to make the reward center part of our brain the dominant? Fight or flight is necessary for survival. And that makes sense why the fear and punishment center would be the most dominant piece because it's a survival mechanism. It triggers fight or flight. But if we lived in a world where we didn't fear each other, but instead knew we could depend on each other, then it would be a much better world, don't you think? And that would likely shift that reward and pleasure center to being the more dominant part of our brain. One that recognizes the value of the collective as opposed to the fear of survival of the individual. Right. Yeah. I mean, does that make sense? Yes, it does <laughs> completely. It does completely. You, you, yes, you're supposed to share these things like widely, widely in, in a way that is organized and like, it's, it's beyond the blog. The blog is the starting version of it, you know, just so that you can start, but it is meant to be more almost packaged in a more official way. I feel that the, again, the, the reason I think that I see the YouTube channel is because it's sim similarly to the blog and you might feel like there's a learning curve and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about technology. I mean, for me, I'm like learning curves ever. I think that's part of the problem. It's what I do for a living. So at the end of the day, I just kind of want to shut the computers off as opposed to do more typing. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. So, so what it looks like to me at it, at its start, this YouTube channel, and also I'll say like, I mean, I, I trust that I get very specific information. I get messages from people all the time, like weeks to months to years after their readings being like, I didn't understand the thing that you were saying. And now it's all happened. So, but also the caveat being that feel into the energy of what I'm describing. And if it actually doesn't turn out to be YouTube, that's okay. But it, it, it's almost like you record your voice talking out these organized thoughts. Like you have notes and whatever, like you've organized your thoughts and then you record your, your voice sharing it. And then the ones that you feel really proud of, you just attach it to like an image that doesn't show you at all. Like maybe it's just a title screen that doesn't change and you upload it to YouTube and you put in a little description and, you know, whatever the hashtags for the search engine optimization. And eventually that channel grows and it is what gives you traction to be able to then put these thoughts all in. I do feel like it's probably a book 
but it feels very similar to Joe Dispenza. I feel like there's going to be, you will be seen at some point and you're supposed to be. Um, it comes back to remember me saying that I, I felt the dragon energy in you. Yes. Yeah. You, you are one of those really strong manifestors. You have a very, very strong, I probably should have given Tony, what's his name? Tony, that big guy. Remember his last Tony Robbins? Is that yes. it? Yeah. Yes. I should have given him as an example instead of Oprah or alongside Oprah, like big impact. And I feel like you will be visible, but at the point that you become visible, there have been a million steps in between. And so you're, you're actually ready for it. And it might feel a little bit like a little stretchy at first, but it's not like how you might feel as I'm describing it right now, where you're like, I'm nowhere near ready. There's all these other steps in between, but I feel like you're supposed to be presenting this, these epiphanies to the world, this understanding in the way that you uniquely organize it. And it's supposed to be in a fairly official package. People will know that it's you. It's a big contribution to, like I said, just even activating, further activating that archetype in this world, but also advancing like thought and understanding of like, to me, it makes total sense that depression would be an addiction. And I can 100% see how people would be addicted to um, the fear and punishment, you know, like chemical. So those invasive releases. thoughts, right? Exactly. Well, also, also, because I read the Akashic Records, I see the horrendous things that people have been through and the ways that like on deep levels, some of us feel like we do not deserve the pleasure and rewards. <laughs> yes. And, and we feel that we deserve fear and punishment. But what's telling us that is the fear and punishment. We don't exactly. deserve it. Exactly. So it's a whole cycle. It's a whole cycle. It's a very big healing thing. I mean, I could go on and on and on about it, um, but I, it fits very much in with the understanding I have of kind of the hurdle that we collectively need to overcome in order to graduate to the next potential reality that we can manifest for ourselves and collectively. So I, I see all of this as being really big and it almost ends up that you're right now, it's like your hobby kind of, you could call it, right? It's like your side thing that you're doing for yourself therapeutically. That's, that's why like, you know, sure. It's profitable because you're also one of those people that has a strong archetype of like, we don't just waste our energy. We don't just waste our resources. We do, if there's a potential to profit, yes, we'll, we'll do that, but it's not your main gig, you know? Yep. Thank you. Yeah. 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 You have, you have very, very, and to what you said about epiphanies earlier, like a hundred percent, I also don't, feel like my epiphanies are unique. Um, but it, it is very powerful when they, when they land, right. When you're like, Oh, that's why it's an epiphany. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm not just hearing somebody else tell me about it. It's integrated. But a lot of my epiphanies have been triggered by other people sharing their epiphanies. And so it's really like when we are the, the kind of people that are coded to carry these epiphanies and receive them, it's important that we share them too. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I should all, we, one thing we didn't talk really much about is synchronicities. 
I'd love to share some of those with you another time. I know we're, we're running along, but um, that's another area where just my, my entire life has been one synchronicity after another. And some of them are um, incredible. <laughs> that, that's the only way I can describe them. At least they are to me. Um, just like epiphanies, they're your own. They 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 have such meaning to you. Um, some of them are just undeniable. It's crazy, but I'd love to share those with you sometime too. Yeah, I would. I would love to hear about them. Truly, I hope this is just the the first of several conversations that we have. I do too. This, this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing your journey and some of your amazing epiphanies. Because to me, they're not lost. They are not eye roll worthy. They are very, very like, whoa. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, beautiful listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us, lending us and sharing with us the valuable currency of your attention. Um, it means the world. There just aren't words for how much it means. And I will catch you on the next episode, everybody. Well, that's a wrap. I truly hope that you enjoyed the episode and that you got some good activations, insights, and inspirations from what was shared today. I want to remind you that you can review the show on Apple Podcasts for a chance to win a free 45-minute Akashic Records reading with me to be shared on the show. Just remember to screenshot your review before you submit it and send it via email to amy at the northstarguidance.com to be entered into the monthly draw. I want to thank my Patreon members from the bottom of my heart for supporting this show. You guys, you cannot possibly know what your support means to me. Seriously. If everything else in my business had to be shut down, the podcast is the thing that I want to keep going and your support means that it can keep going. <laughs> On Patreon, I share bonus conversations, gifts from my guests, weekly dope-ass energy reports, quarterly group hug calls, and more. To become a supporter, use the link in the show notes and head on over to my Patreon. And I want to give a shout out to May, who edits all of these podcasts, as well as the Goddess Support team for all that they do to keep this operation running smoothly. Finally, I want to thank you, beautiful listener, for the valuable currency of your time and attention. I do not take it for granted. You are a powerful creator and may everything in this podcast serve you in your highest creations. Your listenership means the world to me, truly, truly. Without you, I would just be talking to myself. So, my beloved listener, have a beautiful day or night wherever you are, and I will catch you on the next episode.